Hi, and welcome to the Green with Tiffany podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Page. And in this show, we'll explore topics of sustainable living, all aspects of health and wellness of people and planet, and how we're all interconnected. Join us on this journey to live better and more sustainably by improving our health, our families, and the world with the choices that we make. Well, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. I am very excited to bring to you a special guest today about a topic that really has been the driver of Green with Tiffany for a long time. We are here with Sheila Moravati, and she is the founder and president of Habits of Waste. And it's really an impressive organization, a nonprofit that is focused on changing people's habits uh, in their daily routine and trying to bring together collective change through individual action. So thank you so much for being here, Sheila. How are you? Hi, Tiffany. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So excited to have this chat. Me too. So Sheila and I have chatted before. We had a great Clubhouse talk over the summer and Clubhouse is great, but then poof, it goes away and all that valuable information is gone. So I'm glad that this can live on. And I have just been so impressed with the work you do. And I'm so curious to know why you're able to really make a shift with things. I know you have a lot of campaigns happening and I want to go over all of those. And I'm just wondering if it's because you kind of focus on not being so perfect at it, right? You just kind of like start somewhere. It's not about being zero waste because that's really hard to get to, especially when you're just starting, but to just kind of get on board and and start being aware of our plastic consumption in the single use arena and, and what we can do. So I guess the first question is, how did you get started and how this became a passion for you? It's a funny story. I started because of crayons in restaurants. I, I really think it was the most unusual start because I have a background in sociology, not even environmentalism. It's really about human behavior of the masses. And I find it so fascinating to understand how we believe what we believe as a society. Where did those norms come from? Where did those belief systems and those constructs come from? And one day I go with my daughter um, to, to CPK because she was such a picky eater and I was a new mom. And so we go to CPK and she or eats there and I'm like, okay, whatever it takes, we're going. And I see four crayons come to our table and I look around and I see a lot of other tables have these and they're just at the end of the meal getting slipped into the rubbish bin where they're clearing the table. And I thought, wow, that's so bizarre. There's so many kids out there who need those crayons. We just used it for barely a minute. Some of them never made it out of the box. And here we are teaching my toddler that we just use crayons for 10 minutes and then we throw them in the garbage. And so I started to collect mine and I started to just notice how many crayons I'm getting within a few months. And that also goes to show you how often I was taking my child out to eat at this restaurant because I had so many worries that she wasn't eating enough. But I knew that this is just wrong. It was simply put wrong. Like there's kids out there who would yearn for a crayon like that. And here we have restaurants in America throwing away millions upon millions, actually 150 million crayons per year. So that was the beginning of it for me because I thought I can't sit back and not do anything about this. So I started my first organization called the Crayon Collection. And my solution was to collect the crayons in restaurants or have the restaurants collect them. And then I would pair that restaurant with a local school that was considered Title I or Head Start, where more than half the population were living under the poverty line. And they would pick up the crayons once a month. 
and we would create art education resources to use those crayons. The kids could use them for homework, just to draw with whatever it was. And it really became a great solution to a problem that I think not only was it just a problem of our landfills being overly full, but also for our kids learning this behavior that, again, is just like a norm that we throw away perfectly good crayons. And I'm really proud of the work I did there. And that's the beginning of my journey to where I am today. That's really amazing. And so many people probably don't even think twice about it, right? If you're not, you know, you're just clearing the table, they're throwing it away, moving on. It sort of makes sense because that's just what we do. You know, we clear the way. The habit of waste. The habit of waste. Exactly. There you go. And I think having that background has really helped change people's perception and, and you're able to kind of tap into something there because I've been working with different organizations over the years and they're all great. And in fact, they're even greater when they all come together collectively. But somehow I feel like there's more shift happening. Well, now more than ever before, but I feel with these campaigns that you're really tapping into the psyche of people and really moving the needle. And so when I met you, it was on the part of the cutout cutlery you were trying to get into kind of mandate moving out single-use plastic cutlery. But before that, did you do straws? Is that did you move from crayons to straws? It was it was it was interesting because as I was in those restaurants eating with my kid and seeing all these crayons going around and being thrown away, I also noticed that every table around me was like maybe two people had six straws on the table. And I kept thinking, this is bizarre because again, no one asked for those. There's a tray of water coming around with plastic straws in them. Then there's the sodas that the people actually ordered with straws in them. Then there's a coffee coming with the stirs. And I thought, I wonder if all these people actually need all those straws. And I wonder what we could do differently. And that was when I went to the city of Malibu and I asked the city of Malibu to help me by creating a night where we could just use the community room as a you know shared space to watch a film called Straws and learn about the issues of single-use plastic. The reason we had to do that was because this was back in 2017, where there was no discussion about single-use plastic straws like there is today. It was definitely a conversation among environmental groups and everything, and everybody was trying to reduce them. But there wasn't like a general understanding of why is it a problem. People still thought they could recycle straws, I think, back then. So we did that. And then um, after we filmed the, the, after we showed the film and had a conversation with everybody and had a panel, we even had the director of the film come in and producers and everybody talking. Then we ended up going in and I asked for a ban on single-use plastic straws and cutlery in the city of Malibu because I knew that Malibu is an iconic beach city who actually really cares. And if they were to do something about this problem, then many people may be inspired to follow. So I, I'm really proud to say I was right. I think that was like the beginning of the crazy turn of events that we saw, where every city that you could think of right after Malibu was able to just adopt some of the ordinance that Malibu publicly presented about how they wrote the ordinance and was able to just understand how, how quickly you can do that. And I really am so proud of that. But that was when people said to me, are you doing crayons or plastic? Are you doing crayons or straws? And I kept explaining to everybody, but it's all a habit of waste. Like we're not noticing what we're doing and how much we're damaging the planet. And so that's when I actually started Habits of Waste. And it's all under the same family. Um, it's all under the same uh, tax ID number, nonprofit, but it is 
kind of like two separate programs because the crayons really focuses on art education and taking all those used crayons that were otherwise going to the trash, but like really benefiting children and their outcomes in, in their education are so affected by art education. And then we focus on single use plastics and now plant-based eating. And again, other behaviors that we just may or may not even notice that we're doing. But sometimes when someone shines light on it, we are able to say, oh, wait, I could do that differently. And there's no shame. There's no blame. There's no doom and gloom. It's just like, it is what it is. And how can we do different things? And we empower individuals to take back ownership of their their role on this planet. Like we are a part of this planet. We come from this planet. And I think we, we, did, we are so disconnected from that, that connection at this point. And what we try to do at Habits of Waste is reconnect people and remind them that you still have a lot of power. All these corporations are watching what we do. And they make their decisions. And I know that it takes the individual and the corporate level and the government level to make real change happen. But I believe strongly that it starts with us. Absolutely. And the combination of voting with our dollar, as well as creating these ordinances and and bills that go through, creates the change. And the straw was a big one. I think that definitely was the start of plastic waste and single-use plastic. um, Because I think... I mean, I never use a straw, but you don't need a straw. And so many times they just lay them down on your table at a restaurant. And then even when I handed them back, there was a time where you you weren't allowed to hand them back. So once they're on the table, that was it. They're going to get thrown away. So I would always try to stop them before like, no, don't bring me a straw. It's true. I think that that's why, you know, cutout cutlery was such a successful campaign because it wasn't a ban at that point. Cutout cutlery, we just wanted food delivery applications to change their default setting so that users don't have to fight their way to like, say, please don't send me anything and writing notes and everything. It's just the new norm became that no one gets plastic cutlery unless someone requested it. And so when we got Uber Eats to commit to that and then Postmates, um, it was a big win. And then it took a lot more energy from a lot of coalition members, like Plastic Pollution Coalition members, to help us and get from there to getting Grubhub, DoorDash, and AB 1276 passed in the state of California so that all plastic cutlery is upon request. And that, once again, is that we shouldn't have to fight so hard to, to stop the barrage of plastic coming our way into our lives. We should, it should be easier. It should be. I think, you know, we just kind of, again, it's that what we're set out to do in our psyche. It's just what we're used to and it's just easier and it's what we know. And so I do, when I was ordering food, I was so excited the first time I saw on the app that it actually had a little slide bar if you wanted utensils or not, because I would always put it in the notes. And especially during COVID, you know, when you're home, definitely didn't need utensils. You could, you know, and yet you were still getting them. And then I know people that still use them just because, oh, they're there and they don't have to do any wash. And I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, why would you not just use regular silverware? But so that was a really big one. So you've got the the four main applications doing that. And I think having the assembly bill that went through then probably helps really keep it going. Obviously, it's it's by law now, but it's not a pick and choose per restaurant who's doing it, who's not doing it. Everybody's doing it. And hopefully that moves. That's why it, to me, it's so valuable because that's where we create new social norms. That's how we start to see, oh yeah, remember when we used to do it that way? Well, now it's going to be done this way. And any new food delivery application that's born tomorrow will have to abide by these new rules. And it can be amazing because in California, if you have it in one way, the application doesn't want to have a different default in the next state. 
So it really does affect the world. And when Uber did it with us for Cutout Cutlery first, they went straight to global within six weeks. So it's cool. Amazing. Amazing. Well, congratulations with that and all the other organizations that kind of worked together with that. I saw you on the phone waiting to hear the vote. You know, you you posted it. It was like so exciting. We should have been in Sacramento, but we couldn't because of COVID. But I would have loved to. Sacramento for that one, but we did it on the phone. And, you know, yeah. Well, it's nice to see your hard work come to fruition too. It's very exciting. You know, when I started with Green with Tiffany and plastic pollution was such a big deal for me, hearing about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and wanting to see what that looked like in person and not being able to find any photos. You know, I, I had met people along the way, like the Five Gyres and the Plastic Pollution Coalition. And most things in the green world, oddly or sadly, don't really change over the years too much, but the plastic, single-use plastic movement really has. It's taken a while, but it's finally shifted. And to see that is is very exciting. And you've done, you have these other campaigns now. So you've got the ship naked. Oh my gosh, I love that video. So this video shows, uh, you know, hot guy coming to the door, uh, not really wearing much at all, <laughs> if anything. And he sort of hands Sheila... Uh, his box, uh, like a like a delivery package, like an Amazon box or whatnot. And it's to kind of raise awareness on the extra packaging and to ship naked. And we all order from Amazon. I know we try not to, but, you know, it is very convenient and has been, especially again, through the pandemic. And so in those boxes are like all this extra wrapping and plastic. And, you know, I see the barcodes on those plastic, you know, wrap your, your whatever your goods are is wrapped in plastic with a barcode. And I know that makes it easy for them to scan things and get them in the box. But there's got to be a better way because I just read that like 800 tons of additional plastic was created, you know, because of, of COVID. And then what's the Amazon number? Uh, like 20 million pounds of Amazon's plastic waste is out there. So you did that fun video that kind of went viral. How did that come about? Was that fun? <laughs> yeah, I, I got a, um, I got a little handheld vacuum cleaner at my house one day and it came in no box except for the manufacturer's box. So the shipping label was on the box that the hand, little handheld, handheld vacuum came in. And I thought, wow, this box is naked. Like the item didn't come in another cardboard box. And, you know, the manufacturing was manufacturer's box was so strong that there's like no way that it was going to get damaged. So that redundancy of another box and more plastic packaging within this box was just, it would be silly. And I thought it was so smart um, that this, this box came naked, quote unquote. And I realized that like, there's a lot of items out there that can probably come with less packaging, if not no packaging, you know, if manufacturer's box comes like that. Um, And I wanted to start to rethink things. I I don't like to just like take a problem that's the way it is and then try to bandaid it. I want to like go to the root and see how can we do things just totally different? Like just, just reinvent it, right? So I ended up with this idea that what if we had a video of a naked delivery man delivering a toaster that was coming from the manufacturer straight, like we bought it through Amazon, but we just had the shipping label on there and everything. And, you know, there are, it's not a perfect solution, but that particular video was meant to just say like, how can you think about your company pack is putting out a package different than what you see right now? Like, what can you remove? And it's working. Like I just got a package from Nike and it's all recycled cardboard. And that cardboard is very easily recycled because there's no tapes or glues or anything on it. It's brilliant. 
Um, Zara, same thing. We now see frustration-free packaging options on Amazon. So it does, it is happening. But once again, we're telling individuals out there, when you get a package with all that junk in it, use hashtag show us your package and tag the company. Let them see we're annoyed. We're tired of it. Like get in there and share your, your feelings. And everybody out there has a few hundred followers on social media use them. Like it's a really great outlet to get these companies to listen. And the more they get tagged and more hashtags are used and more, the more people are kind of calling them out. It's like, they're, they don't want to be the bad guy. They just, they want to shift and do better. And that's why I was so pleased this year to get some packages from Nike and seeing that they're in that, you know, recycled cardboard. And I just saw a huge investment made in one of these um, cardboard recycling plants where it takes like the pulp of the cardboard and like reuses them into new cardboard. So I think there's something there. I think it has legs. Um, we want to keep pushing it and it's a fun campaign. And I guess like we try again, very hard to come up with ways to get into the mindset of the average person who may not be considering themselves an environmentalist and like, how do you do that? So cut out cutlery, we had a really fun video on that one. Um, we did the same thing with again, ship naked. We have another campaign coming up that we can talk about in a few minutes, I'm sure, but it's called lights, camera, plastic. And we just come up with fun ways to get people to engage. You know, I haven't um, really ordered much furniture. A lot of my furniture in the past has been given or something on at the time like Craigslist or, you know, so I ordered furniture and these giant boxes come with so much styrofoam and I wasn't expecting the styrofoam. And I actually take, you know, we have a recycling bin, but I take it to the recycling center just to make sure that it actually is all part of the cardboard, you know, bin. And wow, they actually moved it out of their large bin and just have it out because it is stacked so high because there's everybody's ordering and there's so much cardboard. It's it was really unbelievable. It was like a huge mountain and they were had a machine coming and scooping it up. It does make a difference to try and limit that where you can. So yeah, let's talk about lights, camera, plastic. That is such a good one. I think when you see things on TV, you know, it's almost funny because I think about, you know, there's the product placement that companies use and before you had to have and sometimes you still do like if it's Coca-Cola and they're, you know, somebody's drinking it, you have to show the can and the can has to be visible, like my little chihuahua here. But now you don't even have to necessarily show the can's label. Like it just kind of is that subliminal message like, oh, they're drinking Coke because you see it and you just internalize it. And so that's the same with plastic. So when you see all the people that are drinking from plastic cup with a straw or they're eating a salad out of a plastic clamshell, that's the norm that we see and it doesn't we don't think twice about it but when you see somebody using a reusable water bottle i get so excited when i see that or when i see them using a reusable straw it's it's great so tell us a little bit about that and i and i what i love about what you do Sheila is that you give action solutions for people to do so you bring the problem to the forefront but then you make it easy and give the, all the steps that you can take so there's that you can go into it a little bit, but the letter, that's an example and the watermark on the script so that people really know what this is and why and understand it. So tell us about lights, camera, plastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, smoking was a huge, um, took a huge dive, nose dive when they took it off screens. And I realized that that's a really interesting history right there. That's, that's like a telltale sign that what we do on screen affects society and our behavior and what we what we perceive as okay or normal or whatever else. 
there's a lot of conversations right now going on with diversity and inclusion on screen and making sure that there's a representation of people from all different backgrounds and races and ethnicities. And I started to think about all of these changes that we're making. And I realized, well, why are we seeing so much single-use plastic? Who's making the decision out there that we're going to, like billions of, upon billions of people are thinking this is okay because our favorite friend on, you know, friends is drinking from a plastic water bottle or whatever else it might be. And I realized that many times it's just one person who's setting up a scene on a production and it's a set decorator or a prop master or something. He may have no idea that even there's a problem with plastic, you know, perhaps. That person may just be doing their best to create a scene that's just as much like society as possible. And so I started to do some interviews and asking people who worked on, in the industry, like, what are you trying to do here? Why aren't you using reusables when it's a restaurant scene, for example? And they're like, well, we just want to emulate society. It's not my job to decide if this should be a green set or not. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I believe that, you know, a green set doesn't have to be dictated by whether or not you have a reusable or plastic water bottle. I think having a plastic water bottle says just as much as what a reusable would say. So I think there's an issue for sure with the perception of what goes on and off screen. So then I realized that, okay, we need to help close that gap. So I created Lights, Camera, Plastic so that everybody on a production could know that reusables on in place of single use is preferred. So that there's no creative like freedom being had if a prop master decides to put a reusable anything versus single use. And that was the key thing here. That was what I loved so much about the campaign because it just started to figure out the problem. So if you have a you know QR code on a poster all over the production, people can scan that QR code and understand what are we even doing here? Why is this important? Or putting a watermark on the script, no one's going to pinpoint that person who set the scene up and say, oh, you created a green scene. Uh, or why did you pick re- reusables or whatever else? It's just the norm of the set. And then finally, we had the a letter created for the executive producer or the director to con- communicate with the entire you know, crew that the culture of this set is going to be reusable wherever possible. Additionally, people who are not in the entertainment industry have the opportunity, like many of our campaigns, to go on our website and basically click once and have emails sent out asking all the guild members, directors, guild screen actors, guild writers, etc., to inform their community members that this exists so that they can also know that there's an option that's quite easy and zero cost uh, to be implemented in their next production. So we really want to give outsiders a voice to impose our opinion on a certain culture or subculture. So whether it was like the food delivery applications, we sent 14,000 emails to get you know all those food delivery applications to understand. And it's just going to like info at ubereats.com or whatever the customer service line is. But when you get 14,000 of the same exact email from different customers, you're going to start to notice like people are speaking. They don't want this junk anymore. Let's, okay, who do we take it to? Do we take it to the president of the company? Do we take it to sustainability people? Do we take it to the developers? And then something happens. Um, We have other campaigns as well that we really feel that these emails are helping. We're sending emails through Ship Naked to Walmart, Amazon, and Target right now, but also tagging companies left, right, and center. So there's a lot of really wonderful ways to get action made in our in our work here, and I'm I'm happy to see some of it's happening. 
For sure. Yeah. Well, I will send, uh, I, I, I will send one to the lights camera action program for sure to the SAG union, because I think that's such an important thing to see because that will target really masses of people to see that and for sure make a shift there. You know, there was, what do you think about the plastic bag ban? So that went into effect, I think in like March of 2020. And it's, we've had issues with it over the years, like trying and then it fails. And so what I notice now is that I, if I ever do get a plastic bag, which most of the time I opt out, but it's this very thick plastic bag. So technically, I guess what they've been able to kind of sideline is that it's a reusable plastic bag. And I guess technically it is, but it's still plastic and it's a thick plastic. I don't know what we can do about that. It's kind of like we're playing ping pong with the (laughs) environmentalists versus the plastics industry. So the environmental groups come in and they say, okay, let's ban plastic bags, single-use plastic bags. And then the plastic people come in and say, well, what's defined single-use? Well, this is the definition. So now we're going to make our plastic even thicker and all of that. So I definitely think like, how can you even expect to see that happen? Uh, as an environmental organization, you you probably would never believe that someone would say, okay, I'm going to come up with something even thicker, you know, to solve the right. problem of the thin single-use plastic bag. But it is like this game of ping pong and who is going to outsmart the other faster and then who's going to come up with the next solution. So I think it's a big deal that we're we're out there trying so hard to come up with solutions. The most important thing I would tell your listeners, though, is bring your reusable bags because the most impactful thing we can do as individuals is create the uh, the behavior that we want to see by doing it ourselves. So charging, for example, 10 cents for even a cup at Starbucks, there's less likely change making gonna ha- that are, it's going to happen by charging 10 cents compared to people in line holding their reusable ready to have their coffee refilled because people are starting to see, oh, he's bringing his reusable. She's bringing a reusable. I want to do that too. It's just the nature of our our mindset, the, the, the kind of community mindset that we have, that we want to be like everybody and do the things that everyone else deems as normal and acceptable. Yes. And then there's the, um, I'm sure you've seen it, that commercial from the American Beverage Association and it's bring back your bottle. So all these ways that the the plastic companies are fighting to keep their plastic in place. And really it's, you know, just such a design flaw to be all these items are used for very, a very short amount of time. And, you know, just to clarify, you know, cause some people come and say, well, plastic has, you know, great use and it does, it's a very strong material and we need it for many things, but what the specific and, you know, I know there's people that are zero waste and don't want to use any plastic in their life and, you know, and you, and we can all try to get there, but this is very specific to these, these single use plastics, which are items that we use for a very short time, whether it's a water bottle or a grocery bag or the cutlery or a straw, things of that nature that you just use once. And sometimes we're talking for just minutes and then we throw them away and then we think they're getting recycled. And that's the other misnomer that, well, I recycled it. And so that's a really kind of a tricky talk because I don't want to discourage people from recycling. I just always think of it as like the last best effort, right? So try everything first before just thinking, oh, I'm going to recycle it. So the reduce, reuse, recycle. But with that, I just wanted to touch on that that commercial and it's a it's actually a very well done commercial. Everybody's very happy about bring back the bottle and they're speaking of a of a new type of plastic 
Because the other thing that people don't know is if you have a single-use water bottle, when you recycle it or throw it away, it doesn't become a water bottle again. It is has to be downgraded into something else. So maybe it's stuffing for a, a jacket or it's a park bench or whatever else it can be used for, but it can't be a water bottle again. Whereas this one is saying it can be. I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I consider recycling wish cycling because you put it in there and you wish that it will get recycled. <laughs> you just hope that that, that will be part of the 9% of plastics that's getting recycled, if that even. So I agree with you that um, we say refuse, reuse, rethink, do whatever you can before you recycle because it's really uh, a pretty long shot if that item is actually going to get recycled. The commercial that you're referring to, I saw it and I was pretty disappointed again because the companies that are creating all this plastic are still not taking ownership of the waste that they're developing. And they're telling us that we can actually recycle that when there's no infrastructure out there to manage that quantity of plastic that's coming out in this, into this world. That's just the bottom line. You can just talk about that all you want, but when there's no infrastructure to be had for this quantity and Back in the day when we were able to send our plastics to China to recycle, that was one option. But then they said, hey, no more. And so since then, we've had you know an even bigger problem. So I definitely love when environmental organizations push for the people who produce the plastics to figure out what to do with it afterwards and really figure out what to do with it. But things like these, this, it's like, it's almost like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. Um, but where the dad says he puts Windex on everything because he thinks it's just going to solve all the problems. Well, that's how I think the plastics industry is touching on recycling, that they just say, oh, recycle it, recycle it. Well, it'll be, you know, and they just can try to consistently convince us that it's our job to recycle it, even though there's no infrastructure for recycling. And that is not really going to solve the problem at all whatsoever. So we just give people some peace of mind to keep buying the products and, um, it's really sad, actually. So yeah, that's my two cents. It is such a misnomer. I used to, I still do take my, my all my recyclables to a recycling center, just like I said, for cardboard or things or glass, just because I, I want to make sure they go, they really do get recycled. Not that they don't get recycled in the recycling bin, but I always think that if you have a glass bottle and it just shatters everywhere as it goes into the dumpster. So it's just part of my my thing, my home away from home. Um, but I used to take, you know, I, you, you do have some plastic in your life. And so I would take it to the recycling center, which the one I went to in Santa Monica is no longer there, but it's sister company is in Glendale and they only take back water bottles and a few different types of, you know, bottles. They don't take back what they used to before. And that was, I think when everything was being shipped to China, which again, is really not a solution just to like push it off to another country for them to bury it or burn it somewhere. So yeah, so now, you know, so people that think, and this is in Los Angeles, and we think all these items are getting recycled, and they're not. And then there are cities and states across the country, like you said, that have no infra infrastructure and are really, I mean, I was in New Orleans, there were no recycling bins, nothing was getting recycled. So yeah, I think it's important to kind of shift the mindset like you're helping to do with with changing behavior. And I think that that just 
is going to make such a difference. And then we have the compostables, those those things that you see that are made of corn and potato and all that in the restaurants that are really trying so hard and spending more money. And I feel for these restaurants because they really want to do the right thing. But guess what? Those behave just like plastic unless they're composted in an industrial composter because they have to reach 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, I live in LA and the closest composting facility is 150 miles away. So nothing is getting composted and the chances of it actually getting to a compost are tricky because no one wants to ruin their compost with something that looks like plastic either. So then the things that are actually compostable that are for food and things like that, when they see any of these items in there, they're worried. Is it, is it plastic? Is it not? I'll just throw the whole thing away. So I really just want to put out there that like compostables aren't even the answer either. It's really about reusables um, and just consistently finding reusable solutions. That's it. For sure. I mean, that adds a whole nother level because then if you think about the, if it's a plant-based plastic, like a corn, now you're growing food to then make into a plastic that is still used for a very short amount of time. And now could in a sense contaminate the bottles that are being recycled because people can't tell the difference between which is which and then the whole lot of them get thrown away, like you said, because there's no industrial comp- composter. So it's it's a little tricky for people. And I, you know, most people probably don't spend enough time, you know, researching this all. And so they just go by with what's what they're told, you know, which is, oh, you can compost it. Oh, okay, great. But that's not really, that's not really happening unfortunately. So what is on the table now? You've got these, so you've got the cut the cut, cut out cutlery that has had some huge wins. You're working on the lights, camera, plastic. The ship naked is, is definitely a good one. I do want to talk about your eight meals as well, which kind of brings in a, another aspect to habits of waste and how it all works together. And, you know, Green with Tiffany is like you were talking about your crayons and plastic. Well, like, which is it? And it's really all under the same umbrella of waste. And that's kind of my talks of who I talk to is really about green living in a sense of all the different topics under that umbrella. So it could even be, you know, holistic health to plastic pollution to organic foods. Like it really is all connected once you start to get there. And so I really think it's it's important to see that and with the eight meals, which is an app, it's a great app and I have it and it's got some trivia on it, which is fun. It's got recipes. You can share the recipes. It's really a well done app, by the way, Sheila. It's so, so great. Uh, You can share your own recipes on there. And so it talks about eight meals per week and how that really uh, makes a difference. I'm going plant-based. So if you do eight meals a week, plant-based, I think it cuts your carbon by like 40%. Is that right? So I saw that I think I saw like an equivalent to driving a hybrid for a year, if you kind of just need a a visual of that. So tell us about the app and how that came about. I don't know if you remember when the Amazon fires came out and the Australia fires and people kept posting things like your hamburger is causing these fires. And I kept thinking that's a very, very strange connection. What (laughs) in the world are they talking about? And I kept looking into it, like I knew that, you know, animal agriculture is a huge contributor for greenhouse gases. But one of the things that was part of it was that they're burning down these, these, these beautiful, precious, you know, rainforests and, and forests just to create more space to farm for feed for these animals or to raise more cattle. So it's just a devastating reality. But then I started to do some homework. I've been, I've been like a wannabe vegan for many years. 
And I say wannabe because I've never fully been able to commit to doing it more than a month. And it might have been that I've been like on it for a whole month and then a little something comes up where like a piece of cheese comes into my plate and I like (laughs) couldn't resist it. And then I feel like, all right, well, I guess I failed at that. I'm not vegan anymore. And then I have to start all over again and then I give up. And it's just like this really weird cycle. And I always looked up to people who could be so disciplined to eat vegan full time. But then I realized that only 3% of our population is actually vegan. And what about the 97% of us that are not? And I'm in the world of environmental work. And, you know, if it's hard for me, and I know so deeply, you know, what, what this is doing, then there's a problem. And there has to be another way. So I I started to read on some of the latest uh, studies that have been done. And there was one by the University of Michigan and Tulane that said, if all Western cultures cut their animal consumption by 40%, we actually offset enough carbon to combat climate change, period. And that was super powerful to me. The more research I did, the more I learned that it is actually the single most important thing individuals can do on their daily basis, on on their life more than plastic, more than anything. And by the way, everybody out there, please don't use plastic because I said that, but I'm just saying more important (laughs) than that, more more impactful than that is to cut down on your animal protein intake. So I realized like who in the world is going to see this study? You know, how are we going to pull this into the light of like mainstream society? So eight meals ended up being uh, my project where I studied, okay, we eat 21 meals a week. What's 40% of that? It's eight meals. Then I started to tell people about it. And then they said, well, where do I go next? What do I do next? And I thought, okay, well, I think there needs to be more steps here. That's where the app came up. And I created this app so that you could kind of learn a through the fun trivia games about what the truth and and myths are. Then you can plug in eight plant-based meals a week into your calendar so that your phone reminds you of it. You can find really cool recipes, like ones that you would never know are not even or you never feel like you're missing anything. So I'm talking like Jamie Oliver, Nigella Lawson, you know, the biggest and best uh, chefs in the country, in the world. And you can create meals that are 35 to 40% less expensive also. And your body will thank you for it. And the planet will thank you for it. So it's like this amazing door opener for so many people who are curious about plant-based, but think it's an all or nothing thing. And we're here to say, it's not all or nothing. Can you do eight plant-based meals a week? And by the way, here's the best part and the secret that only your listeners are going to get is if you eat eight plant-based meals, the chances are you're going to feel so good about it that you will want to do more and it won't be a forced thing. It'll simply be that you naturally gravitate towards that way of eating. And it's the most rewarding part of my job when I get an email from this guy who's the son of a butcher who was taking all these medications and had all these inflammatory issues and had stomach aches that he couldn't even get out of bed from. And he started eight meals, ended up creeping up to 12 meals, up to 15 meals, is fully vegan now, no longer takes medicine, lost about 70 pounds, and he protected the planet on top of it. So I just think that there is so many benefits from this this idea and this campaign. And I really love hearing from people. People tag us on their photos of their pictures of their eight meals, meal four of the week, meal five of the week. And they kind of like track it with us. It's really fun to see. And they get That's creative. That's amazing. <laughs> it feels so good. It just sells itself to them. They don't even need 
you know, anybody to like make them feel badly about it or you should, you should. It's none of that. It's really about, wow, this is fun and delicious and easy. I think that is a, a, such a big deal. Again, it's, you know, when those all or nothing, right? So if I can't be zero waste, then I'm not going to try and cut back on my plastic. Or, you know, if I can't be fully vegan and, you know, sometimes people that try to go vegan and then they're in that world a little bit, sometimes you get a little, unfortunately, shamed for not doing it all right, the right way. And, you know, I'd heard a word a while ago, and I think it's great, a flexitarian, <laughs> which is kind of what this is. And, you know, when I wanted to go plant-based, and this was a while ago, there were a lot more, op- you know, options than when I was younger, when I'd think about it. It seemed so overwhelming when we didn't have any options, it would be in transition. And now there's so many. And when I finally did do it, I I felt so much better. So once you start to feel better, then that kind of just lends itself to wanting to do it more. But I think the app is so great because people kind of don't know where to start. Sometimes people don't still even know really what that is, uh, veganism or plant-based. And I have my brother, <laughs> he would make this um, Easter dinner and I would always be there. And he made things that I never ate before not eating meat. He would make like lamb and duck. And I was like, oh God, I just can't eat lamb. But then I didn't want him to have to make a different meal for me. So there's that flexitarian came in and, but then I couldn't do it anymore. And I finally said, I, I, I don't eat meat. I, I, I just don't want to eat this. And so the next day he made food for me, he made me a pork shoulder. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of me, you know? So, but now he's actually cut back on me. So, you know, it, 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 so we're in a different place now, but it's pretty great. I have the app open and I just wanted to, um, and you've got this little trivia. And so it's like a plant-based diet is difficult, expensive, unappetizing, none of the above. And, you know, so you could kind of play along and then you get little, you know, information about each of these questions, which is, you know, it's fantastic. So everyone can try and participate. So that's an example of how things have really changed and it's easier than ever to, to make that happen. So uh, I love the eight meals. I think it's a great easy way to kind of get started and see how it goes and, you know, not, not be so strict and so hard on yourself. If you, you know, like you said, like a piece of cheese comes across your plate, you know, it's okay. (laughs) And you don't, doesn't mean you've failed. That's the thing. It's like, there's no failure here. It's really about just trying a different way. Trying a different way. So maybe for the new year, New Year's resolutions, what can we do? We could do the eight meals app. That would be great. And definitely, you know, definitely you want to get involved, right? So whatever speaks to you, there's different campaigns on the Habits of Waste website, uh, habitsofwaste.org. And it's all laid out very easily. You can actually just go to the campaigns area and there'll be a drop down menu and pick the one. And, and you can have a voice there and you can make a difference with signatures or sending messages to the right people. And it's pretty easily laid out for you to do. So I'm very excited about that. And thank you. Sheila for everything that you do. And I definitely want to help out in 2022 where I can. And so, you know, I like to give, I mean, we've given a lot of tips of things that you can do to reduce your single use plastic. I just wanted to see if you had any, you know, maybe three tips additionally, we could kind of touch upon again that we could share with everybody. One of my favorite tips um, is to have a little bag in your car in the in the trunk of just a couple reusable containers, so that when you eat out and you don't, it's like sometimes you're deciding: do I want to take the food home and not contribute to food waste, or do I want to get that plastic container that they're going to put it in? So, having a little bag in the back of the car is always one of my favorite things to do. Um, similar to that, I always have my grocery bags, 
in there as well. I just leave it in the car. And as soon as I'm done with them from the grocery store or the farmer's market, I put them back in the car. I'm really just like preemptively preparing yourself for the next thing um, that you're going to do. And really, I just think understanding that you really matter in this, the, the big picture, that your voice counts and you can, you know, just tell one friend after this, this conversation we've had here today about something that inspired you. That makes so much of a difference. Just that's always my assignment for everybody who's listening to a podcast that I'm on or something. Just tell one friend one thing that made, made an, a difference to you today. We really believe that that's, that's the key thing is like for people to not just feel like oh, I'm just one person. I'm only one person. Yeah, you are, but everybody is only one person. And so if we all thought that we don't have a voice or we don't matter or we're just one person, we'd get nowhere in the world. So recognizing that you kind of have to do that first lift a little bit and just remember that I'm going to put my email out there to Amazon or whatever else it might be, or I'm going to avoid bringing whatever my, I'm, I'm going to bring my reusable water bottle so that I don't buy a, a plastic water bottle. Eventually, if more and more people do this, it's going to start to make a dent and it, it is already actually. So like you said, um, Tiffany, it is one of the more finally is coming to, to something, but we have a long way to go still. A sure. long way to go. Yeah. Individual action for collective change. I read that somewhere on your site and I love that. That's what it is. And when you are at the grocery store, some things that I, I do, uh, you know, I have the reusable bags in the car, but once in a while I forget them or maybe I went in for one item and then I come out with a bunch. So I just put everything back in the cart and I wheel it out to my car and then I put it in the bag there. Or if you do take a bag, I mean, I, I never take plastic. I, I do, you know, if you if you need to take a paper one here and there, I just reuse the paper ones, you know, not that I want to keep doing that. But if you're, you know, in a bind, I think that yeah. that's a, 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 an okay solution as well um, for the time being. And then I haven't really gone out to eat too much. Um, but when I do, I used to take, um, I like the faux soup. That's a tough one to take. But I got these great stainless steel jars and I would... I mean, you could probably do it in LA. If you do it anywhere else, <laughs> they'll probably think you're crazy. But they would put it in that instead of their their styrofoam container. Or if you don't have a container, sometimes I would ask for a little piece of tin foil because if you can clean the tin foil, then you can have that recycled as well. So there, there are different ways that you can avoid using plastic. It's just a matter of knowing and being a little bit conscious of it. So Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So less plastic in the new year as we also come out of COVID and the amount of plastic that has been used of single use um, that, you know, when people were very fearful and we just want to move to a different place with it. And, and the rains that we're having, that is the first flush. And then you see all the plastic that goes out into the ocean, which is such a big deal. So I thank you, Sheila Moravati of Habits of Waste for being here and for making such a difference in this um, fight against the single-use plastic and what we can do to shift change and make a difference. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. This was a pleasure. You're very welcome. And this one gets to live on uh, my platform, so that's great. So if you'd like to learn more, I said habitsofwaste.org, and you can um, subscribe to the Greenwood Tiffany podcast for more conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. You can find me at greenwithtiffany.com and on Instagram. Till next time, choose to care.